Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday afternoon as I am recording this at an abnormal time because uh, some geriatric old man decided he couldn't stay up until Thursday night. Uh, I am joined today by a very special guest, of course. Uh, He's having his birthday party tomorrow. It is Jeff Morton, the King of Thornton himself. Jeff, how are you, sir? Old. Um, um, you know, it's funny when, when you read, because both Ryan and I record over zoom and they've done this thing the last several weeks where when you start the recording, a very loud voice on there tells you that you're recording and it always throws me off. So if, (laughs) if people have been listening to my Gen X show, which I do be over zoom with, uh, my co-host, uh, You'll always hear a pause at the beginning, and that's because I'm just startled every time by this Willie. You are recording. <laughs> it is funny, and it's it's so new. It's so weird that we've been using Zoom for a significant amount of time, given the pandemic and given everything that's been going on. Uh, so it, this is a new feature that they've added, and it, it freaks everybody out, no matter no matter who it is. Like I, right. I don't think anybody remembers <laughs> that it's coming. It's it's just very funny. Uh, but this is a this is a very interesting time in the NBA calendar where you've got the finals going on uh, for Nuggets fans. You've got not a lot going on right now, from what we can really say. Like at, at Denver Stiffs, we're currently doing draft profiles and getting into the draft coverage and things like that, and. Uh, oh, there is one thing that I think we should probably talk about. Uh, Wes Unsell. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Wes, Unsell, Wes Unsell Jr. is most likely going to be uh, the new head coach of the Washington Wizards. It was brought up today. Uh, it's been in the rumors for a while, uh, but Sham Sharania and Fred Katz over at The Athletic with Washington, uh, they have brought that up, and, and it seems like he's going to be the front runner for that job. And when it usually comes out that you're the front runner, you're likely to get it. I, I can't imagine that they would really deviate at this point. What do you think, Jeff? Was richly deserved. Richly deserved. Um, he is known to uh, Tommy Shepard, the, uh, the GM there. And uh, I think it's a natural fit. His dad, obviously, is a Bullets slash Wizards legend. And... Um, they won a title with Wes Unseld senior. Um, so it's just in his DNA and I think it's a natural fit and I think he'll be great for them. I think, I think he, uh, the Nuggets will lose a, a pretty significant assistant when he's gone. I think of Malone's assistants outside of Chris Finch, uh, uh, Wes Unseld junior has been by far the most impactful. There's been a lot of assistants that have gone these separate directions, and Chris Fleming was one initially, Chris Finch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Wes Unseld now. Uh, I'm pretty sure that whoever – like, do we know who is running Grand Rapids Gold as as the coach over there? Is, is it one of the assistant coaches now? I do not know. I know that Ben Tenzer is going to be their, their, their like, president slash GM or something like that. Yeah. But I don't know their coach. I don't I, – it, it, is it the same staff? that was there before it's it's a good question maybe maybe they will keep the same staff and part of the hybrid model but uh mm. for for whatever like here the big the bigger point here is that the nuggets are kind of being split in a bunch of different directions right now with a lot of right. their head coach with their their associate head coach and wes unseld who has been around here since 2015 uh you've have 
obviously Chris Finch was a massive part of things and he's now the head coach over with Minnesota after a couple stops mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on, on whether Denver might try to hire for, or kind of promote from within, or if they might try to go get a new assistant coach on the, on the market somewhere? I am not entirely sure who's been outside of West Sunsell Jr. Who has been their defensive guy other than Malone. I'll be honest with you. So, I do not know. That's a good question. I, I, my, my initial thought would be they will look in, in internally first, uh, but they may actually extend that outside if uh, unsold leaves. Um, I think uh, who was who was their defensive coach? Was it Micah Nori? Uh, uh, you've got Micah. You've got Jordy. Um, I don't think Jordy was doing defense though. I think it was no. Who was who was um, the guy from Villanova? They had um, was on the Villanova championship team in '85. Oh my god, this is oh yeah. Tommy (laughs) Tommy Tommy Massimino is like listening to this, throwing stuff at the podcast. I think that's because I cannot remember his name. Uh, Well, yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, but he, I think he was the defensive guy. So the Nuggets have gone through defensive guys and they've gone through off offensive coaches. Um, I think they will find someone. Malone has a large, this is what I'm not that concerned. Malone has a large de- degree of control of over in game stuff. So they just need someone to run defensive drills and practice. So um, I think they will look internally first, but their, their coaching staff is um, not enormous. I'll be honest with right. you. So um, maybe maybe looking outside would be the best thing to do. It's always good to get new blood in, uh, somebody who can provide a new perspective, I think, and especially for a okay. Nuggets team that it, it wouldn't surprise me if they felt like it got stale a little bit uh, with some of the, like they've had a lot of the same guys. They've had a lot of the same concepts and they just came off of a bubble run and then this long slog of a season. Uh Adding in somebody new might not be a bad idea, uh, but either way, right. uh, we'll we'll figure out what they decide to do. Uh, I, I initially brought you on here. We we're going to talk finals and and some of the stuff with the with the Olympics. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see how these finals progress. Uh, did you happen to yeah. catch the game last night? I did. Uh, I I saw the, my big takeaway, other than Giannis's block, was. Uh, that lack of foul call on on Devin Booker was so so blatantly egregious that it almost killed my enjoyment of the rest of that game. I'll be honest with you, I've I've I don't think I've ever seen anything that blatant before. Just get ignored, and it, it wasn't that it was not called; it was just flat out like we're not even going to call this, and it just bugged the crap out of me. Outside of that, it was a good game. Uh, the Bucks did a good job coming back, and Chris Paul had himself a terrible game. And uh, Giannis was getting him to his left hand, and that's the key with Chris Paul. You got to get him to that and like not let him get back to his right hand. And they were, I think he ended up with four or five turnovers. Um, yeah, last night, and that, and I think that was uh, that was really really interesting because it's well known about Chris Paul that he wants to go to his right, and teams just for whatever reason do a bad job of keeping him on his left hand, um, and Giannis I think was really doing a good job of keeping him on his left hand, and that was one of the big takeaways from that game too. 
Uh, the Jay Crowder flop, actually both of them. Oh my god, there, there were several egregious. of them. Uh, he he tries to come set a screen for Chris Paul, and then somehow Pat Conson sends him to half court uh, on a, on a <laughs> on a bizarre jog. But then the one that was even more egregious, I thought, was the the flop on the three pointer uh, that he got the oh, three god. shot foul. Uh, the, those kinds of things in the middle of such a really fantastic game. And then the Devin Booker non-call. Uh, it, it really does color the game in a, in a pretty ugly way for me. But I'm glad that Mi- that Milwaukee, I almost said Minnesota. I'm glad that Milwaukee <laughs> uh, pulled out that game. It's yeah. now 2-2. Uh, it doesn't get colored by the refs. Uh, don't have to think about that. Like I think the better team won in that right. game last night. Uh, Giannis and Middleton have been incredible. Uh, on the offensive end, uh, Middleton a little bit less so during games one and two, of course. But over the course of these last couple, he's really found a groove, and I wonder if he can take it on the road. We know that Giannis will travel, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm not sure whether Middleton will do so or not. Middleton's an interesting guy because I don't look at him like uh, a, a true, he's not a true number two to me because he goes through these dry spells that. Uh, maybe other players who are quote unquote number twos don't. Uh, he was legitimately pretty awful in I think game two actually. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think the 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 Bucks have had to rely on Giannis to a tremendous extent in this series. Without him out there, they're I think they're. Plus minus isn't tremendous. Uh, they managed last night to survive. And it's largely because Drew Holiday, his offense has been awful. His defense has been good. But he cannot hit a shot to save his life. I think he had like 12 or 14 points last night. But it felt like it, he had to work hard for every single basket that he got. And I think that is, that's what, I mean, the it's tied to too. So it sounds like I'm being critical. But the fact that the Bucks have been able to overcome the fact that they've basically had one and a half players they've been relying on these playoffs, not these playoffs, the, these finals, um, has been pretty remarkable to me. They are a very up and down team. Like you could see, mm-hmm. you could see it click into place when it works, but you can also see them go through these dry spells where, like you said, it really does feel like one one and a half players are out there doing their thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was almost the reverse last night for Phoenix, where they so far have been a sum of their parts uh, for most of these playoffs. But last night, it, it was right. Devin Booker who was the guy who was carrying things, and nobody really showed up to help them. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. that continues going forward? Do you think that Devin Booker can uh, continue to do those things? and Or do you think that the rest of his roster isn't going to help him? Because I think he's probably going to get more help, right? I think so. Uh, Phoenix has been relying inordinately on a player in campaign who up until this year, hasn't been a good NBA player. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes there's a return to, you know, you've regressed to the mean on this. If you've come back, I don't think pain has been, he's been, he was good in the first two home games. But they've really had to rely on pain because, to be honest with you, Aiton has been largely neutralized. I mean, he's getting rebounds, but he's been largely neutralized by Giannis, primarily. Um, 
Also, Brooke Lopez has done just a a really great job when he's out there against DeAndre Ayton on the roll. So credit where credit is due. Like that's, Mm. that's one of the things that has really stood out. DeAndre Ayton, six points last night. Six points. And I think he had like 16, 17 rebounds, something like that. But he's, you know, like he'll grab his rebounds, but he wasn't a factor. So you rely on campaign and not necessarily Mikhail Bridges. Um, and if you want, if you if you're like needing Jay Crowder to hit threes, and if you're needing a campaign to get go for twenty points on those ridiculous left-handed layups that he does, then you know. And his shot is—I don't know how his shot goes in. It's the ugliest shot I've ever seen. Campaign shot—I it, it looks like it shouldn't work, but somehow it goes in. So I—I I mean, more power to him. It's like uh, uh, reminds me of Stanley Johnson's uh, shot, which is maybe the worst shot I've ever seen in my life, but well, you know, it's, is... it's funny because campaign, like none of those shots ever did go in when he was for the first four years of his career. So right. he's really turned himself <laughs> around. Like, like, so I, I don't think you're it's like, it's not wild for you to say that he's just kind of found a rhythm here. It's crazy. It's amazing. I, and I, and I think that Phoenix having to, you know, outside of Paul and uh, I mean, you saw it last night, you know, it was a close game and Chris Paul had a dreadful game. Yeah. I mean, he was getting to his spots a lot, but I mean, the turnovers were just killing, killing Phoenix. I, I think, I think there's was, that's where the weakness is. I think they will play better when they get back to Phoenix. And I think that is where the inherent advantage is for Phoenix is that they got home court advantage. And unless Milwaukee can break that, uh, in the next game, this is going to come out in the wash. And when that does, it goes to the home court advantage team. Um, so, I mean, these are pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, I think, I honestly think Phoenix is better. Um, Milwaukee is not a, uh, they're not a dynamic outside of Giannis. They're not a dynamic team. They're very, I mean, that is, I mean, people can come, come at me on this podcast, but I'm so like, I just, I just don't, look at them and think this is a remarkable team. They're very plain for a finals team sure. outside of Giannis. So uh, that is what I can't compute with this team is like, they're, they're very average outside of Giannis. I mean, you know, Middleton has his moments, but yeah, I, I mean, okay. What about you though? I mean, do you look at Milwaukee and think this is a team that is one of the best in the, in the, in the East? Well, I mean, considering the East is so bad, I guess, you know, get that that's a misnomer of a comparison, but uh, do you look at them and say they're one of the best teams in the NBA? Uh, I, I think you have to, uh, given how things have borne out. Like, I, th- I think it's unfair to Milwaukee to say, oh, man, well, if they had faced Philly, then then they would have gone down. Like, Philly wasn't exactly doing themselves any favors by losing to Atlanta. Um, yeah. Brooklyn, they had their warts, and Milwaukee beat them despite the fact that they weren't healthy. But that was one of the reasons why Brooklyn was a little bit of a concern going into these playoffs. Like they never mm-hmm. actually were able to play together because they're all old and injury prone. So, like that kind of makes <laughs> sense. Um, Milwaukee was definitely the team in the East that I thought, okay, hey, you're the most steady team because of your defense, because that that was where they could really lock in. And I think the block by Giannis is kind of under it kind of underscales who they are they are a rugged blue collar team that is led by a rugged blue collar physical player who may be physically enough to finish in the top 20 players of all time 
like given his resume at this point, like two time MVP. If he wins a finals here, he's, he'll be the finals MVP. No question. And he'll have a ring. Like he's already been extremely dominant in his first seven years of his career. Like I think there is a really big like argument to be made for somebody like that, that he could be con- and continue to be the face of the NBA or one of the faces for the next five to seven years. So uh- I think you, you, we may just be looking at a historically dominant player carrying what is a solid team and taking them to new heights. Remember in 2013, prior to him leaving, Masai Ujiri would confide to people about how much he liked Giannis Antetokounmpo, and no, and and that was a that was a historically terrible draft. Yeah, that was the that was the Anthony Bennett draft. So uh, there's you you know that's 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 a, a part of this thing is that I remember I remember uh, uh, Masai really being high on Giannis, and it took and and to be fair, it took Giannis about two three years to round into what he became, and once he became it, he took off. But I remember that, and I remember how high on Giannis that. Masai was and I'm sure even after he left Denver I'm sure with the Raptors he was like I need to get this guy so it's it's you know it's got the Masai Ujiri seal of approval and he's got a good track record so uh, it turns out he was right anyway absolutely and and if anybody would have known it would be Masai at that Mm -hmm. at that stage so he's he's got that track record and I totally believe that um I just think it's it's going to be fascinating to watch the international landscape of talent over the course of these next few years, because I, I've, I've been harping on this in my pod that I think the three pillars of the NBA going forward are going to be Luka, Giannis, and Jokic. And I think that they, like, I, I just don't see another face in the, Ameri- in, like, the American domestic side of things that has really risen up and, and could be that level of player over the course of these next five to seven years. I'm trying to think of... Zion, maybe. Um, Zion reminds me of Charles Barkley, um, circa nineteen ninety-three. Um, man, Tatum? Mm, no, Tatum. Tatum's what fourth year now? Fifth year? Uh, yeah, fourth year. He just finished his fourth year. He's good. Tatum, like he's he's, he's really good. good. He's good. Um, mid-range specialist, very good. And I tell you what, that's one thing I wish the Nuggets had was a mid-range specialist that would have come in handy uh, against the Suns because the, if they had a guy who could loosen up the loosen up the offense just a little and get his own, and those tend to be mid-range shot guys, uh, that would have helped free things up just a little. It would have shrank the defense, and I. And I kept thinking that the entire time. I'm like, they need a guy who can just pull up like Durant, you know, right now and get 15 foot shot. Well, hey, you know, you know, that's it's funny that you say that because uh, I was listening to the low post last night that they released with Michael Malone on it, mm-hmm. and Turtle. that's a must must listen for any Nuggets fan. And and he actually brought that up that the mid range is very important to this Nuggets team, and they have two elite mid range shooters in Jokic and Jamal Murray, and like, hey. Jamal Murray would have been pretty helpful in that series, as, as everybody right. knows. Uh, so last question to you before we go to a break here. Uh, 
how much better or worse is Devin Booker than Jamal Murray? The one thing I'll give Devin Booker over Jamal, because I think Jamal's got him in every other way. Uh, It's a little more effortless with Booker. Um, One of the things I always talk about with Jamal is that he works really hard. And you could tell. You can tell that every muscle in his body is working in unison to do something. And I think it's because he's slightly slower than some of the other people who are his size. And that's just a body composition thing. And Booker seems a little bit more lithe and able to get to his spots a little better. Outside of that, I, I mean, I think, I think Jamal's got a better killer instinct. He's got a better, he's got a better uh, leadership ability. Um, he has got a better go-to, I think. Uh, so I would take Jamal every, every day, you know, at period. I, I really would. I, I think Jamal is overall better. It's just sometimes I worry that some of the injuries come from him having to work as hard as he does. Um, some of those contorting shots. I mean, I, there was one, that one in the bubble he hit over LeBron. Yeah. I was like, I was, I, I, I was watching it with my dad and I, and I said, I think every single month is working at the same time with that shot. I mean, every single, he somehow commanded every of his body to make this shot. But sometimes at the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe this is why he tends to get hurt. It's because he's working. He, I mean, he just has to work that hard. Um, and that's the only thing. But other than that, I think I give Ed, like I said, the Ed Jamal, because I think he's just an overall better player. It's just funny. Like I, I've heard people crown Devin Booker as like top ten player, uh, unbelievable talents. Like he's going to be the next face of the NBA, uh, given what he's done. And like, look, performances like last night, you can really see the potential of of him doing like as if he does that relatively consistently, or or at least like does that once every three games or something like that. Then, like you've you've got a really right. special player on your hands. Don't get me wrong. But like we also did just see Jamal do this. Like this, this was like he was yeah. he was on track to do this this year, and so I I just I think that he was in the best shape of his life in the bubble. I think that he worked really hard, and when he got into that shape, things became a lot easier for him in the bubble. And so if he if he could get back to that point after this knee injury, then I think we're going to see a very similar. Uh, type of performance that Devin Booker is putting up with Jamal Murray going forward. Uh, and like you, you see Sorry. how impactful a player like that is like in these, in these yeah. playoffs, like it, it just stands out like a sore thumb that somebody like that is going to help lead the nuggets to a title. Like if, if well, that's how me, it's going to be, let me throw this out there. And the last thing before we break, I look, if, if, if Jamal's out there, I mean, I do get critical of the Nuggets over-relying on the two-man game thing with Ian Jokic. I get it. It's a bog-standard kind of offensive thing they do. Uh, But if Jamal's out there, Michael Porter has a much better playoffs, particularly against the Suns. Uh, He relieves so much pressure, and Mikael Bridges is probably guarding Jamal instead of Michael Porter Jr. And then, you know, Jay Crowder, who's, you know, just – 
he's good defensively, but he's more rough and tumble. Uh, I, I will take Michael Porter Jr. shooting over Jake Crowder. And I think that loosens things up a bit. So in, in the Nuggets offensive cog, what Jamal brings uh, is invaluable. And people are saying like, oh, Jamal doesn't add that much. I'm telling you, Jamal being gone, it's remarkable that the Nuggets finished out the season. And as a tribute to Jokic and his MVP year, that they were able to finish out the season as the third seed, because that's how big a piece Jamal was. No, I'm with you there. It's it's too bad that we never got to see it. Like literally, we saw, we saw five games of them at their peak, and so like it's it's just <laughs> when you ask about does Milwaukee look like a a solid team or like a championship caliber team? I don't know. I think the Nuggets looked like a championship caliber team. So like it's just right. it's always hard right. to evaluate that from that perspective. Like they could have done it. They absolutely could have done it. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what ultimately happens, but tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to get into some other stuff. Uh, I want to, I want to ask Jeff about the roster. We'll be right back. Gax and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, joined today as uh, as I like to do relatively frequently, uh, Jeff Morton, the King of Thornton himself, also associated with Mile High Sports. Make sure to go check out his podcast, the CSG Pod, uh, on that network as well. Uh, Jeff recently podcasted, I think it was actually when you dropped that episode was today, where you spoke about the Michael Porter Jr. extension and how important that is and how Denver should not overthink this thing. Like, first of all, everybody should go check out that podcast because I think Jeff lays it out perfectly there uh, that there are some major concerns about how Denver should really handle their business. And like, if they don't handle it correctly, then they could be in trouble. Right. Well, yeah, and one of the, and uh, uh, yeah, and Brian's right to go check out CSU podcast. Um, um, it's I kind of go into a 20 minute rant about it, but I overall point is that you don't want to have a Gordon Hayward situation on your hands um, and forcing players who are good, who are like game changing players into restricted free agency is never a good thing. You have to take care of them, even if you don't know if you're going to be able to keep them long term, if you're going to be able to afford them. You have to keep them because if you force them into restricted free agency, you lose control over what the numbers are. And a bunch of teams can come in and add a bunch of stuff that maybe you don't want um, to be giving Michael Ford Jr. on it that you're forced to match or lose him for nothing. And uh, that is why you sign him, even if you're not convinced you sign him because you want it on your terms and not some other team's terms. hundred uh, percent. There are teams that can offer max money. And like, I, I think you could look at a team like uh, the Dallas Mavericks and say, Hey, what better use to their salary cap space could they have than to offer somebody like Michael Porter Jr. Who would really elevate their product or somebody like uh, the New York Knicks uh, where right. 
you, you could you could definitely have an association there going forward. Like I think that Michael Porter would love to play in New York and he would uh-huh. hesitate about signing a contract with them. And it's funny that Gordon Hayward signed a contract with Charlotte and he, he was retained by Utah in the restricted free agency, but he ultimately still made his way to Charlotte. Like guys, guys remember there, like that they remember those, those aspects of this, like even, even Alan Crabb who signed a contract with the Brooklyn Nets uh, was then retained on restricted free agency by the Portland Trailblazers Portland. back in 2016. He mm-hmm. still made his way to the Brooklyn Nets. Like, so I think that if you're the Nuggets, you don't want to give Michael Porter any reason to not uh, sign with you. I think you could probably say, hey, look, we signed Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray on the day one of free agency. Uh, we gave them five-year deals. We didn't give either of them options. Uh, the one concession that we have, Mike, is that we want to sign you for a full five years as opposed to giving you a player option. Because look at the stars that we have on our roster. Even the MVP, he did the same thing. Right. And, and the years matter. Because one of the reasons that the, the uh, Hayward thing hurt Utah so much was because it was only three years. Yeah. And, obvi- and there was a trade kicker in it. I think it was the full trade kicker. I think it was the full 15%. And what that did was it hamstring them. It, it hamstrung Utah completely. And it was, it was at the time I remember thinking, what, what is Utah doing? Like uh, they already had Gobert on the roster. It's like, I, I just, just sign him. And, and if you don't intend to keep him, you can move on from him because guys like that kind of retain their value, specifically Hayward pre massive ankle injury. Uh, the guys like that are generally going to retain their value regardless of player performance. It's like people that say about Michael Porter Jr. Well, these playoffs were not good. Look, that does not matter, folks. I just just 100%. If, you're, if that is part of your thinking, you need to get it out of your brain because his performance in the playoffs has nothing to do with the way that GMs around the league see him. Um, he is a highly valued asset. Uh, I'm full agreement. And, and it's funny, the Gordon Hayward thing, you could have, you could write an alternate history where he signs a five-year deal as opposed to a three-year plus a player option. And they mm-hmm. still draft Donovan Mitchell or they yep. still trade for Donovan Mitchell from the Nuggets. And they have Mitchell, Gobert, and Hayward on the same roster. And you start to think, okay, hey, Ricky Rubio, uh, Joe Ingles, like there's a lot of reasons to think, oh man, the Utah Jazz could be the next superpower if they had just mm-hmm. done their work. So it is, it is a big deal. Uh, the Nuggets are probably going to learn from that mistake. They know and understand how talented Michael Porter is. I expect them to throw five full years at him and think, hey, let's agree to this now. Let's get it done. We want you here. We know we can win a, chi- a title with you. The problem, uh, can you win a title paying Jokic, Murray, and Porter all the max? Because I think you can. It's going to take a lot of work but it's probably going to mean losing some other players. And one of those notable players could be Aaron Gordon, right? Yeah. Um, what you need is those three guys. And, and obviously Porter only in his third year, he's still ascending. He's still growing. Yeah. Um, Jamal and Jokic are re- realizing their potential, uh, particularly Jokic. Um, if you have that as your baseline, um, the the thinking is you can just sprinkle in 
uh, vet minimum guys around them or guys who are coming on the mid-level exception if they're really that good and then kind of forming around them. I don't think that is a decision for this year though. I think sure. this, this, this year is weird primarily because of Jamal yeah. uh, being injured. So it's hard to make any big decisions based on what you know about Jamal, but I think it is a, definitely a decision for the year after. Now, as far as Gordon goes, I can see him. He's. Uh, I think he makes twenty million next year, and then he's he's done. A little over he, twenty. Uh, yeah. So basically, his his contract was actually descending. Uh, so he signed a deal that was basically about twenty two million, twenty three million, like uh, in his first year. But it's descended all the way down to about sixteen, seventeen million in this final year. So. Oh. Uh, so he's he's. It was about an average of four eighty, something like that. Wow. That's uh, that's actually very good for the Nuggets. I mean, he could play out this last year, and Nuggets could just let him go into restricted free agency. I don't know if that's what they want to do. He's but unrestricted, he's, by the way. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Well, uh, but that's that's one of the things good is Lord. that they they have to learn from the Jeremy Grant situation, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they do. They would want him to be someone who signs this this off season. He's another guy that's like, but he's an, he's a guy that is a fourth option on this team. In Orlando, he was number one or number two. So yeah. uh, that that's different, and that means money. I can see him getting fifteen million a year. Um, I think he would probably want 20 and I think it would be an interesting negotiation. If the Nuggets wanted to extend him, they like, okay, we'll give you two more years. You've got your year this year. We'll extend you out two more years. They settle in on 16 to 18 million right around there, which I think would be the ideal spot. I think, um, where do you go from there though? I, this, it's like, that's number four. Who's making over fifteen million? <laughs> it's it's and and here let me let me even amend that further. Uh, Matt Moore, our mutual friend, uh, he said that it's perhaps that maybe they should be expecting a higher number than that. Perhaps uh, twenty two million, twenty five million in terms of what Aaron Gordon is going to be asking for uh, from from a per year perspective. So I don't think he's worth that. And I think just from doing my homework and looking at some of the previous contracts that have been signed. Most of the time, it's about 16 to 21 million in that range where somebody like him, uh, even if he's a fourth option, like you pay the piper for somebody that you believe can be a high quality defensive piece, a high quality versatility piece that helps you win a championship. Uh, Not everybody can get a Jay Crowder for the mid-level exception. Like, I think that was a very fluke thing. Where he's not even like Jay Crowder really is the fifth option for a team like the Phoenix Suns because they have Mikhail Bridges. He's going to be being paid close to the max uh, when when he ultimately gets it done. So it's going to be interesting to see what number Denver comes to because the higher they go on Aaron Gordon, the less they can pay other people, the less they can pay Will Barton, Jamichael Green, Monte Morris going forward, PJ Dozier, Zeke Naji, guys like that. I think people should look at it this way. The Nuggets traded a first-round draft pick uh, in uh, R.J. Hampton 
And they traded Gary Harris, who was a first mm-hmm. round draft pick for Aaron Gordon. They also traded an actual first round draft pick. Yes, an actual. I mean, this was a this was a substantial asset haul for uh, Orlando, and that tells you they're probably committed to uh, Aaron Gordon. Will Barton, on the other hand, I think is the one that maybe gets the sacrifice with this because if the Nuggets are committed to this direction, they have to make the determination whether uh, PJ Dozier is the optimal replacement for what Will Barton gives you. I don't necessarily think he is. I think he gives you something different. I think he gives you better defense, obviously. Um, Who would be the optimal replacement? Like, like what do you, if, if you have a team that has Murray, that has Porter, that has Gordon, that has Jokic going forward, what are you looking for in that fifth guy? Lonzo Ball. Do you need I, a better I, I, shooter than him? Uh, well, um, Ball shot actually pretty well this last year, didn't he? I think yeah, he was he uh, uh, primarily corner threes, but I think he was uh, uh, better this year. I think this was his best year of his career in shooting. Um, yeah. You know, Ball is a guy that I would slot in at the two, and he'd give you defense and enough shooting. They need another playmaker, and Ball can do that. Uh, in that sense. So he's kind of like a defensive version of Will Barton in that way. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, I think the thing with Will is that he's looking to get paid. And with the decisions the Nuggets need to make, can you see, and I'm just going to throw this out there, can you see the Nuggets getting rid of Aaron Gordon to keep Will Barton? No, I can't. And that's 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 the decision I think the Nuggets would have to make. I agree with the uh, MPJ is a no brainer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So you've got Max for Jokic. You've got Max for Murray. Uh, you're going to have Super Max for Jokic after the next couple of years. Like he he's going right. to be like I think he has two more years left on his deal. They can't extend him on the Super Max until the next year, so we won't hear anything about that. But that's coming. He won an MVP. Uh, Denver will do right by him. And, and like, even if Jokic said, Hey, you guys don't have to give me the Supermax, they'd probably still give him the Supermax. <laughs> like, that's, that's right. honestly something right. that they would do. Um, right. You mentioned Lonzo Ball as a fifth option type. I think he's going to be way priced out of, of what yeah. they can actually pay for. Because here's yeah. the salary cap situation that you're looking at. Uh, if you have Jokic and you have Murray, you still have Gordon for about 16, 17 million this year. Uh, you'll have Michael Porter for about five. Um, you have Monte Morris for about nine, 10. Uh, Denver is not going to have salary cap space, even if Will Barton goes, uh, even if Jamichael Green goes to the point that they could actually sign somebody like Lonzo Ball, who I think is going to make about 15 million or something, something yeah. around that amount. Yeah. Uh, so they're only going to have the mid-level exception in all likelihood. Which is and what, eight million? Eight, eight it's, or nine it's like it's nine and a half for the first okay. year, and then you can you can raise it by five percent. The max contract that they could give on that is about four years, forty-one million. So it's okay. about ten million per for for the life of it. So you're you're approaching this from the perspective of I think you can fill a starting shooting guard spot 
with that money. I think you can. Okay. It would be pretty. It would be pretty lessened, like in terms of like, like. I think Barton would be asking for more than that in general. But I also think that that's okay, and you you don't you could probably find somebody that at least gives you eighty percent of what Will Barton gave you. Well, it, it's it, it makes it seem like um, you know. I would like I I don't want I don't want to make it seem like I would toss you know Will Barton out, but I think from everything I understand right now is that Will Barton does want to get paid, yeah. and I, there's only so much that goes around, and I do sincerely believe at this point that it's between. I mean, I think optimally, to be honest with you, I think the Nuggets would like Will to opt into his final year. I um. I think that would be their 100% choice and then see where the chips fall afterwards. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that is something that Will Barton is thinking about right now. And uh, despite their, you know, this, that video of he and uh, Aaron Gordon uh, out, uh, where was it? They're to desert somewhere. Um, <laughs> it was the Maldives or something like that. But like yeah. the, the classic NBA vacation uh, where you just go to some exotic place that no normal human being could ever go to. It's awesome. Right. <laughs> so uh, despite that, I think really, I think this is what the way you need to look at it. It's not Michael Porter or Aaron Gordon or Will Barton. It's either Aaron Gordon or Will Barton. Because I don't think there's a, you can afford to keep both on extensions. I think the Nuggets would like Will Barton to opt into his, I think he makes 14 something this year yeah 14 six yeah so if he opts in on that i think it'd be perfectly fine with saying okay we'll just we'll just run it back and uh see because this unit was the unit that was kicking ass before jamal murray you know had his injury so i I think that's what they would like i just don't know if that's what will's thinking so yeah we're gonna see like as you said before the Jamal injury is kind of changing things where you still have to survive this year. And without Jamal for probably like the first 50% of the year, maybe more like you, you've got to figure out, okay, how are we going to get through this thing? Uh, Barton would help you do that. Barton would absolutely help. And, and if he opted into his player option where he's just got a one year, $14 million contract, that is like the ideal. That is the ideal situation right. where you can just play status quo help Michael Porter Jr. grow into a second option. And then when Jamal Murray comes back, you can ease him back into things. Um, But say Barton opts out, say he wants to get paid and say that that's something that he's interested in. And uh, he gets an opportunity that's worth about 15 million a year. Denver's probably not going to sign that, right? 15 is pretty reasonable for Will, I think. Um, I can see the Nuggets taking a hard look at that. Yeah, I I don't see twenty. Yeah, I'm not sure where he's going to get twenty. Uh, yeah. There are teams. There are teams that would give him fifteen, and I think that he would want to do fifteen. Like, or, or maybe not want to, but like that would be something that he could realistically settle for because it's about the amount of that player option. Well, I was going to say because it's only four hundred thousand more than he's making now. I mean, it's 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 maintaining his uh, his contract basically. So I think he can. Uh, I think he will. I mean, it's just just think about it this way. You know, it, with Will Barton, both he and Will Bart, with Will Barton and Gary Harris, 
there was a almost because of the injuries to Gary specifically and the the playoff injuries that Barton was suffering. There was almost a sunk cost element to it. But with Gary not taking up almost 20 million of the cap due to, you know, being, you know, injured all the time. Um, you got Will there and you're relying on Will to, to pick up a lot of the slack. I think if Will came to the Nuggets and said, I will take 15 per, so you, he wants to do a, what, two, three, four-year extension at 15 per, I think the Nuggets would take that. I, I really do. I'm, I'm a little bit less uh, certain because of the financial implications, because of what it's going to look like for the tax going forward. Like once Porter's extension kicks in, like he's making 20 million more than he was. And then if Gordon's, if you're still signing him to an extension, then he's going to be making more than what he was. And you've still got Morris, you've still got to pay PJ, or maybe they decide, Hey, we don't, we don't want PJ at that price. Like if he's going to get like 8 million or something like that. Right. Um, it's going to be tough. So these are the decisions that you have to make, and they're they're going to be pretty significant. And I think you just have to make sure that Barton is going to be the starter at shooting guard. Like if 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 you pay him that fifteen million per, he's just went into an, his age thirty season. He's finished out each of the last three playoff runs with injuries. Uh, are you going to pay him for his age thirty one, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four season, uh, and assume yeah. that he's going to be the starting shooting guard? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting dilemma right there. If you're if you're talking to like Jeff, the GM, I would say that uh, coming back to my original statement that yeah, this this is between Aaron Gordon and Will Barton and how what they think about their future. Uh, Will Will's been in the year two years longer than Gordon, um, so I maybe you you traded for for Aaron Gordon. Um, and you gave up a lot of capital for him. I don't see the Nuggets just walking away from that unless they're bowled over by the. Say like if if the if the Sixers offered uh, Ben Simmons, I'm sure they he'd be they'd be like yeah yeah have Aaron Gordon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they would. We'll give we'll give you Paku Campaso too, and all, all these. You know, I think they would do that. <laughs> um, but in the absence of that, I think you got to go with the guy that you went all in for. I agree so. with you. Um, and let's, let's transition actually, uh, no, I, 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 cause I talked about other free agency options on my previous podcast on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, li- I listened. basically the list of six that I had is like the top guys to replace Barton on the MLE. If mm-hmm. I told you that, Hey, you're going to offer these six players four years, $41 million. Uh, which one do you think is the best fit and the best value for that? Reggie Bullock, Josh Hart, Alex Caruso. Alec Burks, Tony Snell, and Kelly Oubre. Who stands out? Uh, Alex Caruso. It's an I, interesting I, name, right? I actually, you know, it's interesting because he's a pest. He's annoying. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's, he's, but, you know, he's very good defensively, and I think he would fit with Malone uh, specifically better than those other options. Um, maybe Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock would, would, would be a, another fit there. But um, I think Alex Caruso is a Malone guy uh, yeah. type, I should say. So 
that's the one that would intrigue me the most on an MLE. Uh, specifically, since I don't think I don't know what the Lakers the Lakers are always shipping out guys they should. Uh, so you know, I think he's a key part of their team. But if they're going to willing to let him go, then uh, in free agency, then I would take a serious look at Alex Caruso. He's a fascinating guy, in my opinion, because like he he's been such a small role player for them for mm-hmm. most of his time there. But he's been a part of some of their best lineups. He's been a part of like like when they when they have winning time, they usually put in Alex Caruso, and that that right. I think stands out on a team that has won a championship and has LeBron James and Anthony Davis and guys like that. You wanted Alex Caruso there as, as the support player, as the the high IQ playmaker, the slasher, the defender, the screener, somebody who could really do everything. Right. He wasn't necessarily the shooter, but like. I think Denver's got enough shooting where they could take a chance on somebody like that. Um, yeah. Well, and he likes, we know he likes weed. So, you know, look, <laughs> he could, he could go to Colorado where it's legal and not be in Texas where he can get arrested for it. So, I mean, just saying, I love it. Uh, he'd be interesting. I, I could, I could build a, a championship caliber rotation with Caruso as the starting shooting guard for the team. Jamal Murray, Alex Caruso, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier. Feel pretty good about that backcourt. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I would too. I would too. Okay. Let's talk about Jamichael Green real quick before okay. we get out of here. Um, if you're paying Porter and Gordon, if you're trying to figure out who to pay at shooting guard, Jamichael Green has a player option that's worth about $7.5 million. Uh, First of all, do you think he takes that? Do you think that's – like he, he said that he wanted – like not said, but like he, he posted on Instagram at one point that he had unfinished business in Denver. He's interested in the team. The team is clearly interested in him. Nikola Jokic likes him. Like would you – like do you think that he takes the player option or do you think he opts out and tries to go for a longer-term deal? Um, it depends on how much you believe he reclaimed, would, you know, reclaimed his uh, value as the is as is through his time with as with the nuggets um you would think that he wouldn't have to split time with paul Millsap now uh so that would free him up he would get more opportunity um i think he would like that sort of thing if he knew that Millsap wasn't coming back um, at this point, we don't know. I think Millsap's not coming back, but you never know. You know, if Michael Malone has his way, he'd probably be, you know, given an office somewhere at Ball Arena. Uh, but <laughs> there is a, I think that, I think that if he knew that, then I think there could be a chance that Jamichael Green sees the market and says, well, um, maybe I should ball out for one more year and get, uh, you know, for the 2022-23 season, I'm going to be able to get paid uh, because I'll have a bigger role. You would hope that is a thing. I, I mean, I don't know what's in his mind, but you, I think for the Nuggets, that would be 100% what they would hope to. Do you see him as more of a power forward or a center? Power forward. But I think he can't see, play I don't. center. Like, I, I, I see him as kind of that 4-5 that if you're in a playoff series, like he needs to play center because he gives you some more versatility, gives you a little bit less like bulk at the four 
Like I, I think that so many teams have been downsizing so much that it would really surprise me if he was brought on to play traditional power forward for somebody around the NBA. Like I, I can't so, imagine that anybody looking at these playoffs, uh, given what Dario Saric has done, John Collins did, uh, PJ Tucker, uh, all of these teams that have played really well, like Marcus Morris and Nick Batum, like. I think that all of these teams that have done really well have gone with small ball fives. And I think that that really like it it has to transition into that. I think it all depends on if you have the personnel to play what essentially amounts to five out. And even as is right now, I don't know unless the nuggets are going to really make a concerted effort to stagger, which Malone has a hard time doing. Unless they're doing that, I don't know if the Nuggets have necessarily right now the personnel to play a five out for the second unit. Um, they could, they could, uh, but at that point, you're relying on a Faku Campasso, uh, a PJ Dozier, um, you know, sometimes Michael Porter Jr., uh, and insert power forward here lineup that I don't think necessarily is optimal at a, at a five out approach but i guess you don't have to do five out if you have a michael green at uh at power forward i don't know i mean it's an interesting thing you pose i i just think i just think that one of the reasons the one of the reasons the um clippers went with uh um nick batum at five was that so they could space out uh the, the maps and so they could space them out all over the court and it worked because uh well, the maps are terrible. So <laughs> the jazz, well, the so, jazz too, though. Like, like they spaced out Rudy Gobert and made his life hell. That's right. That's right. So, uh, one one more thing with this, uh, Zeke Naji. What where are you, where are you at with him? I know the Nuggets are pretty high on him. They believe in yeah. him. Like, what yeah. kind of a role is he going to play if you bring back Jamichael Green? Uh, what what are you thinking that he does? Well, you know, you could see him. I could see him slotting into the power forward spot. Uh, he's a good enough shooter. Um, you worry about one of the when they played Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap together. One of the reasons that I hated that line is because they would get in each other's way, right? Yeah, and it's the lack of spacing was was bad. And in the modern NBA, you really need spacing. So uh, I think that wouldn't be as much of a problem with Zeke at the four, um, specifically if he continues to get better with his three point shot. I think that's probably where they see him. Um, kind of filling into that role of backup power forward in the regular season who could probably play center for you in a pinch in the playoffs. I kind of agree. And when you talk about that and when, when you think about, okay, where is this team going? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they let go of Jamichael Green, brought back JaVale McGee and had Zeke Naji is the power forward. JaVale McGee is the center. And then if JaVale McGee doesn't work in the playoffs, then you just slide Zeke Naji to the five and then go with Aaron Gordon at the four, Michael Porter yeah. at the four, guys like that, and just go much smaller than you've been in the past. Uh, yeah. That to me is where I think Denver's advantages lie uh, going forward. But I, it, I think that you could justify this any number of ways like jamichael green is good he's solid he does a lot of the difficult defensive things that you need but he's also like what i envision zeke naji being so right. can you develop zeke naji if 
the version that you want him to become is still standing in his way on the roster. Well, if it's only for one more year, I don't think that's that big a deal. Sure. And the Nuggets are kind of in a holding pattern this year. Um, you hate to waste Jokic's prime years, but the Nuggets aren't left with a ton of choice than to play the cards they're dealt. So optimally, I don't think that's going to matter. And, and I think another year of development with Zeke Nagy is probably the best thing before you fully unleash him. You know, he may show out this year and make it necessary to kind of move on. But uh, I think it won't hurt him to have Jamichael on the roster because it's only $7 million. Um, You know, Jamichael may want a longer deal, you know, and, and he may opt out and say, look, I, I, wanna, I, I want something more. And in which case, the Nuggets have to make a decision there. So I, I, I think they would know that with the confidence of having Zeke behind him to where they don't have to rush into a long-term deal with Jermichael uh, uh, Green if they don't want to. It's funny that I think the conclusion that we're coming to here with both of these player options is that you want them to opt in and then, like with Barton and Green, and then figure it out later. <laughs> like yeah. I, we'll just we'll just see what the hell happens after after this next year. That's and, right, and just kind of go from there because I think I think you're right. I think that that's the the ideal situation. You draft somebody at 26, or or maybe trade down and pick up a couple guys in the draft. Uh, you basically go status quo until Jamal Murray comes back and see what this team can do in the playoffs, and then figure it out at at the the next stage which I just, I just think that's so funny because uh, we were very close to seeing this group in the playoffs going forward like over, over this past year. Yeah. And yeah. not being able to see it, I think Nuggets fans want to. Like they, they want to figure out how to best do it. So uh, do you come to that same conclusion that, hey, maybe just status quo is the right thing to go with? Yeah. Yeah. I, be, well, I don't know if it's the best thing, but I think it's the thing they're forced to do. They just – Financially, right now, they don't have a lot of options unless it's a perfect storm of Millsap, Barton, um, Green, uh, trade happen, right? So, like, you, you, those guys opt out and then you trade Gordon. Obviously, you can reshuffle the roster that way. I don't see it happening. So, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. We'll, we'll, we'll ultimately have to see how it goes. But this is a this is going to be an interesting discussion. We are two weeks away from the draft. Mm-hmm. We're a couple day we're a couple days away from when Will Barton is going to decide on his option, and yep. then we're about maybe just under two weeks away from when uh, Jamichael Green's going to decide on his. So these things are about to happen, folks. Like we're going to figure out where this is going to go. We can discuss what these things mean for the Nuggets, how they're going to continue to build the championship roster, and. Uh, because I think it, it, how these guys decide and what Barton and Green decide to do, we could see either a bunch of changes or no changes at all. Right. And I and just to throw this out there, there's no, going to be no draft analysis on CSG. I, <laughs> I don't do that. I, I learned my lesson. So I, I know that I don't have the requisite skill to analyze these players. Uh, I don't pay attention to college basketball or international basketball. I just like being surprised when the, the draft comes along. So uh, you, you won't be hearing that from me, but 
stay tuned to uh, podcasts like Ryan's and others that that people who really put in the work and know what they're talking about. Uh, because I'd rather you listen to these guys than like have to stumble across my podcast where I advocate for Mario Hazonia in 2015, and uh, there's an egg on my face. So, <laughs> oh come on! Like I I I advocated for Hazonia. I advocated for Josh Jackson in 2017. Thought he would be great. Um, I also, I, but I, I do have a decent draft record from uh, wanting Jamal Murray in 2016, OG Ananobi in 2017, Mikhail Bridges in 2018. Uh, the guys that I wanted in 2019 were Brandon Clark and like uh, Matisse Thybul. Like I thought that those two would be pretty good fits, and I think that probably would have borne out. Uh, but like, hey. Uh, you, you can't be a hundred percent and Tim Connolly would be the first to say so he drafted Tyler Lydon. All right. This is, this is, <laughs> this is an accurate statement. So the, that is, and Emmanuel Moutier. So <laughs> yeah, that one was, yeah, we, we just, we just, we just passed right over that one because Nikola Jokic came in in the same year. It was great. Year before. Well, he was drafted the year before, but he stayed overseas. But yeah, year. then he yeah, then he came in yeah. actually. That like, day, hey, then. it's a new day, but like, it's because of Nikola Jokic and not because of Emmanuel Moutier. Like, I yeah, they called him New Day Moutier, and uh, turned out to be same day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How about yesterday? Like yesterday's yesterday, news. Yesterday, Moutier. Uh, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, Jeff, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with me. Uh, See, everybody make sure to go what notice notice how invigorating an afternoon podcast is like, uh, like you're it awake is, it is nice to see the sunlight i will say that like <laughs> usually i'm in my little den here in my room it's very dark and people just see my face when i have the yes. light on behind me. yeah like nobody else can actually see what the rest of my room looks like it's very funny uh, of course every, you don't anybody see that, don't see the broncos decal behind you so you know Anybody who's podcasted with me knows exactly what I'm talking about there. It's very funny. Uh, but Jeff, you've been awesome. Uh, everybody go check out CSG and go go listen to his latest episode about Michael Porter and extension talks. Uh, we will be back, and I'm, I'm sure we will talk soon, given everything that's going on. And uh, maybe maybe the best time is probably to just reconvene after free agency and see, hey, yeah. what the hell actually happened after we talked about it for a couple of hours. Of course, man. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, this podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS when you go sign up. They're doing a $1 for $150 in free site credits deal right now. So make sure to go check them out uh, for everybody. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.